This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Open your Bibles, please, to the tiny, tiny book of Philemon. Uh, it may take you just a little bit of time to find that, so I'll just give you advance notice. But I told you last week that the matter of prayer had been gnawing at me for, for some time. And uh, just to kind of open my heart to you, as I did last week, I've been convicted over my prayer life that I, I feel is too shallow and, and especially too full of prayers that were all about my comfort and my happiness and, and my well-being and, and security and about receiving more blessings from God rather than a prayer for being more Christ-like and rather than praying to make more of a difference in the world. And so the last few weeks, I've been on a quest personally to discover what a truly effective prayer life might look like. And in an effort to get out of my little shallow prayer routine, I've been studying some of the Apostle Paul's prayers. And last week I said that there were around 43 prayers of of, of Paul's that were recorded in Scripture. And again, you know, that that could shift uh, one way or the other. I could have missed some or maybe what I considered a prayer. You wouldn't necessarily classify it as a prayer, but But there's no doubt, I think we would all agree, that the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. But as I studied his prayers, I found that they were so far from the the prayers that we pray. You know, our prayers are pretty much bless me and help me, and, uh, you know, that's what I pray, that's what you pray. In fact, and, and as I've studied Paul's prayers, I don't remember any of Paul's prayers using the words bless me or bless us. Now, I don't think bless me prayers or bless us prayers are wrong. In fact, in my devotions this past past week, I was reading in the Old Testament where Jabez prayed, Lord, bless me and expand my territory and keep me from harm. And so I don't believe that bless me prayers are wrong, but I do believe that bless me prayers are wrong if they don't go beyond bless me prayers, if you know what I mean. You know, if our prayer time is mainly about asking for our comfort and, and to be able to accumulate more material things and, and even just prayers for physical ailments and struggles, then I believe our prayer life would probably have to fall in the category that mine fell into of being shallow and selfish and materialistic. Again, there's a place for those prayers, but our prayers shouldn't stop with those prayers. So I've been on a quest. I've, I've been on a mission to expand and deepen my prayer life, and I'm trying to model the prayers, follow the model of the prayers of the Apostle Paul and Jesus. And so last week I shared with you a a prayer that Paul prayed for his friends in Philippi, and and it was not that they would just be blessed and and healthy and and all of those things that we pray for, but, but he prayed that they would go deep spiritually. And then we ended our study by looking at the matter of dangerous prayers, and, and I, I hope that you started praying those dangerous prayers, and I did this past week. I tried to pray them every day, and if you missed that lesson, we do have some additional bookmarks at the, uh, I don't know if they're at the Welcome Center, but at least in the office area, and we'll be glad to get you one. And, and, and if you're watching online, or, or if you happen to be watching or, or listening on the radio, then uh, contact the church office, and we'll be glad to... Um, to send one of those bookmarks to you. The six dangerous prayers were search me, break me, stretch me, lead me, use me, and fill me. Today, we want to look at another of Paul's 
43 prayers. And again, I don't think we're going to have a 43-part series on prayer, um, but we do want to look at a powerful prayer of Paul's that is found in that little tiny book that hopefully you have opened to, a book with one chapter, a total of 25 verses. Philemon was actually a personal letter that Paul wrote to a friend uh, of his, and, and can you guess the name of his friend? Philemon. He lived in a place called Colossae. And this letter is the only letter that we have re- on record where, where Paul wrote to a person, an individual, rather than a church or a group of churches. So who was Philemon? Well, Philemon was a successful businessman. But not only that, Philemon was kind of a lay pastor. He hosted a, a small church in his home. And, and let me try to summarize the events that led to the writing of this letter. One day, one of Philemon's slaves, Pastor Philemon, and I know you may be horrified that this pastor had slaves, but that's the way it was during this time. But one of his slaves named Onesimus escaped and traveled all the way to Rome. Now, this was no easy task to get to Rome because, um, you know, he would have had to have traveled a, a great distance without getting caught. Philemon wouldn't have been able to walk to Rome and, and stay hidden. And when someone came by, he couldn't have jumped in the ditch and he would have had to have catch a boat, perhaps two to three different boats, and traveled many days on water. In fact, you can just kind of see right here, uh, here's Colossae, and this is Rome. Now, this says 1,180 miles, and, and uh, some scholars would actually say that it's probably closer to 1,500 miles, but, but you can see kind of the, the task as a slave who escaped from the master, go over here, take a boat, over here, over to Greece area, and on over to here, on up to here, that was going to be a challenge to be able to get to Rome without getting caught. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but we just assume that the reason that this slave Onesimus made the long journey to Rome was that as a runaway slave, he perhaps thought that maybe he could get into the big city of Rome and uh, nobody recognize him, think that he would never be caught, he could start a new life there as a free man, and maybe even start a family. Well, the events that take place after Onesimus gets to Rome are what prompt this letter from Paul to Philemon. Let's begin reading in verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayer. So who's you? Philemon. And there are two reasons Paul thanks God for his friend Philemon. Verse 5, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus, that's one, and I hear about your love for all the saints. Now, if we would just stop our reading and, and just end everything right here, I think we would be pretty pleased if those words could be said about us. Paul says, Philemon, I've heard some good things about you. One, I've heard that your faith in Jesus is really strong. Which, if that were said about me, it would thrill me to know that my reputation had spread maybe up to 1,500 miles away to Rome, that my faith in Jesus was strong, and and I was known for being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. If that can be said about me at my funeral, I'll take it. But Paul also said, uh, Philemon, secondly, I've, I've heard also that you're doing a great job of affirming and loving all the saints in your church. 
And again, if at my funeral you can say, Joe was not only a strong follower of Jesus, but he loved the people in the church he served. If that can be said with full honesty at my funeral, probably that will cause a smile to come to my lips, even while I'm laying there in the casket. That's what Paul said to Philemon as he's writing this to his friend back in the city of Colossae. But Paul continues on. And Paul now comes to what I call the the crux of Paul's prayer. Now, now, I know we don't use the word crux very often in, you know, in everyday talk. This is a word that's probably used as a mountain climber. We use that more frequently in mountain climbing. The crux of the climb is the part that is generally the most famous part or, or the most dangerous, the most difficult part. And, and for those of you who follow the climbing season of Mount Everest, which is probably absolutely zero of you, except for maybe Peggy. Peggy's kind of warped like I am. But there, there are several places on Mount Everest that we would call the crux of Everest. One would be a near vertical rock face about 200, maybe 300 feet from the summit, named after Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first known person to summit Everest in 1953 along with Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. But that rock face is called Hillary Step. And so you're getting up again two to 300 feet from the summit and to negotiate this rock right here, and you can see all the lines from the different years. They'll put up a new rope every year, so you've got just a ton of, of lines here. But this right here is would be the, the crux of the climb uh, called Hillary's, um, Hillary's Step. Now, um, a, another crux on Everest might be the 40-yard, nearly vertical rock face that's also called the second step. Now, Hillary's step, just, just so that uh, you know this, because you need to know this, Hillary's step, step is on the south side that the country of Nepal claims is theirs. The second step is on the Tibetan north side that China says is theirs. And so this right here is called the second step. And so back a whole lot of years ago, you can maybe see right here, there's a ladder. And so they hoisted a ladder, took it up there, and uh, that helps with, with that second step. Um, and, and both of these steps are challenging, and many climbers turn around at these points because even though they're not far from the summit, on one side, they're only two to 300 feet from the summit, yet uh, they don't have what it takes to be able to conquer these rock faces. But anyway, when I say that we come to the crux of Paul's prayers, this means that we're coming to the most important part of the prayer, but probably is also the most difficult part that the majority of us would struggle with the most. Here's what I call the crux of Paul's prayer. And remember, this comes after Paul has affirmed Philemon and said, good job, you're known for being a strong follower of Jesus, and and you're also known for loving and taking care of the brothers and sisters in the church that you serve. But here's the crux. Here's what he prays next, verse 6. I pray that you may be, you ready? Active in sharing your faith. Uh, Now you know why I called it the crux, because even though this is so very important, yet few of us actually are able to do and share our faith. Now we have no problem praying for healing. You know, help so-and-so, they're sick. We have no problem praying for protection. God, we're going to Springfield today. Would you protect us on the road? 
We, we have no problem praying, God bless us with all kinds of favor, but how many of us can say that this past week we prayed for ourselves or prayed for our family or prayed for our church to be active in sharing our faith? This is rarely ever part of any of our prayer lives. Well, before we finish reading Paul's prayer, last week I said that just as we all have our own unique prayer style, some of us say, dear Lord, a lot. Some of us use bless. Some say guide direct. Some of, uh, you know, some of us say, like I do on Sunday morning, the people said, you know, to say amen. So Paul had his own unique particular style of praying, and he would pray something, and then he would use the two words, the words of, remember, so that. So that. And here Paul prays that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, again, that's so very different than our little bless me prayers. Paul prays a prayer of gratitude because Philemon has been strong in the Lord and strong in his love. But then he prays that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith. And if he would be active in sharing his faith, what would happen? Well, it was so that he would have a full understanding of the blessings that he already had in Jesus Christ. Which, follow me here. This would mean that Philemon would probably be less likely to only pray Bless me prayers. Because he would begin to realize how blessed he already was. I wonder if if sometimes we pray bless me prayers and God is saying, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) You, um, You got two cars in your garage. And you've got another one that's in a barn and you've got another one that's sitting in your driveway. Your, your family is healthy. You've got a pretty good amount saved in your bank account. You've got a nice roof over your head. You've got plenty to eat. But you're still praying, God bless me. God bless me. Now, let's go through some scenarios that might give us insight into why Paul would pray a prayer like this for his friend. And, and we're going to read between the lines. And do you, know, do you know what it means to read between the lines? Just that. It means to read between the lines. And, and, and so uh, this is not a, well, God's Word said this. No, this is just kind of supposition. We're going to try to get a little bit better background to help us understand the Scripture more fully. But here's what I think, did you catch that? I think could have very likely happened. One day, Onesimus, this slave yearns for his freedom. He makes the decision. He plans it carefully. Makes the decision to run away from his master, who is Philemon. And so the slave makes the long journey by boat, again from Colossae, all the way across here, across the Aegean Sea, the Ionian Sea, on up here to Rome. Well, in Rome, maybe he's there a few days, maybe a few weeks, we don't know. He comes in contact with a man named Paul. We don't know how they met. Maybe Paul sees this guy wandering around, unsure of himself. Maybe he senses this guy is hungry. 
whatever, Paul strikes up a conversation with them. And, and Paul, in their conversation, Paul hears that Onesimus is from Colossae, which happens to be a place that Paul knows very well. And, and, and still reading between the lines, when, when Paul finds out that he's from Colossae, maybe he says, as we would say, what would we say? Small world. What a small world. Who would have ever thunk that two guys in the big city of Rome would just meet coincidentally and both have been to this little burg, maybe like Shell City. I don't know how big Colossi was. It was probably bigger than that. 1,500 miles from there. What a small world. And perhaps because of that commonality, they just hit it off. You know, there's something about when you're traveling, you come across somebody that knows, actually knows where Elderia Springs is, even though you've never met them. Yet, common knowledge of Elderia Springs just causes you to feel a closeness to them. You know, having been raised in, in Bolivia, whenever I, I hear of somebody that's been to the country of my birth, it's just like, oh man, you're my brother, even if they're pagans. You know, there's just something that makes you feel close to them. Uh, sense of closeness. But, but anyway, after Paul and Onesimus exchanged some trivial conversation, I'm quite sure that Paul started giving his testimony because that's what he always did. And maybe he said, you know, Onesimus, there was a day that I hated Christians. I, I persecuted them. I even killed them. But one day, my life changed. And, and Onesimus, I, I'm going to tell you about this. I hesitate to because you might call me a weirdo, but one day on the road to Damascus, and I know it sounds crazy, but I was hit with a bright light and I was blinded. Knocked off my donkey. But through that incident, I had an encounter with Jesus, and my life changed. It did a 180. I kind of get tickled when people say, well, my life did a 360. Have you ever thought about that? And it means you're back where you were. But he did a, a 180. And Paul said, I, I'm now one of those Christians. I'm trying to help everyone meet this same Jesus because he changed my life and gave me meaning and fulfillment. And, you know, Paul was a pretty blunt guy and still reading between the lines, maybe he just blurts out and says, Onesimus, you've got to experience Jesus. Your life will never be the same again. Well, perhaps in that casual meeting on, on a street there in Rome, God's spirit begins to touch Onesimus and he's convicted. He says, Paul, I think that's what's missing from my life. You know, I'm so empty. I, I thought that running away from my slave master would make me feel so good. And, but I feel like that there's something more to life than what I'm experiencing. And perhaps Onesimus prays and he's transformed by the power of the gospel. And some of you know all about that, don't you? I've heard your testimonies. You were lost. Some of you were on drugs, you were addicted to porn, you were addicted to other substances, you were addicted to man's approval, and your life was a mess. And, and, and some of you know what it's like to be able to say, Jesus changed me, he forgave me, he filled that emptiness in my life. Well, maybe talk, Paul talks to him a bit more and says, oh, oh by the way, where, where did you work in Colossae? You know, I, I know Colossae pretty well, and And maybe Onesimus at that point just puts his head down in silence. And then maybe he stutters and says, um, Well, um, 
you know, before I ran away from him, I was a slave for a man by the name of Philemon. And I can imagine at that moment, Paul does a double take and maybe his mouth flies open and says, Philemon, you have got to be kidding. No way. Onesimus, I know him. I know Philemon. In fact, he leads a little house church in his living room. Can you believe this? And, and maybe again, one of them says, what a small world. Here we are nearly 1,500 miles away from Colossae, and as perfect strangers, we bump into each other in the big city of Rome. And not only have we both been to Colossae, but we both know the same man in his community. But then maybe Paul says, and track with me here, and again, we're just reading between the lines, but maybe Paul says, wait, 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 you, you worked for Philemon? And you don't know about Jesus? Didn't Philemon ever tell you about Jesus? Now, as we quit reading between the lines and get back to reading the lines of inspired Scripture, I just wonder if that wasn't what prompted Paul to write this letter to Philemon and, and not only vouch for Onesimus that he was a changed man because he had accepted Jesus, but then to also urge Philemon to please accept this former slave back without punishment, but more importantly, accept him back now, not as a slave, but a brother. And I wonder, and please pay attention here, I wonder if the main reason that Paul wrote this letter to Philemon was to remind him that even though he had an amazing reputation of loving God and of loving people, yet Paul was concerned that Philemon might have become too inwardly focused. And maybe he was trying to say, Philemon, I'm glad you got the reputation of loving God, and I'm glad you got the reputation of loving the people in your church, but what about those outside of your church? What about those that aren't in your little circle of brothers and sisters that you gather with every Sunday? What about those that aren't in your socioeconomic circle? What about those that are part of the rough crowd? What about those who are good people, but they think that their own goodness is enough? Philemon, are you not sharing the gospel with them? Here, Onesimus worked for you. And it's obvious you never shared Christ with him. Something that has become a fatal flaw in the church is that we as Christians many times have reverted back to an inward-looking, self-centered version of Christianity where the majority of our focus is just loving people in the church. And yes, we must love each other. That, that, that's a command. We must love the brothers, the sisters in the church, but we can't neglect those outside of the church. And, and if we're not careful, instead of loving those far from God, we will start avoiding and being critical of those far from God. Instead of reaching out to them, we will retreat into our safe little subculture of Christianity. And we will be like, hey, hey, Brothers and sisters, stay away from those bad people that watch X-rated movies. Stay away from those who smoke and drink and cuss and, and chew and, as we're always supposed to say, and run with girls who do. And, you know, stay away so you're not contaminated by them. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
the last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven was not, Christians, get in your little churches and pray that you would be faithful until the end. Jesus said, go into all the world. Yes, that means go across the oceans to the people of other ethnicities. But that also means we're to go to those that live in another part of our town. That means we're to go to those that, so to speak, live across the tracks. That means we're to even to go to those who live across our own streets. And we're to share Christ with them and, and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and through this, Jesus was saying, don't run from darkness. Don't hide from the darkness. Don't barricade yourself in away from the darkness. Rather, shine your light into the darkness. Too many churches have been so focused on just pleasing the membership, and the result is always predictable. We start arguing over dumb things, things like, you know, which translation of the Bible is right, or what denomination is right, what kind of music in the church is more spiritual, you know, is the new hymn, Is He Worthy, written by Andrew Peterson and published in 2018 or so, is it as spiritual as the old hymn, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, the former slave trader, published in 1779, and we argue about that stuff, and and as we argue over these things and focus on what we like about certain people or what we don't like about our church, the whole time people around us are going to hell. And so you can almost hear Paul saying, Philemon, keep on loving God. Keep on loving people in the church. Those are good things, but don't forget there are lost people, even your own slaves, even your own employees that need Jesus and so you need to be active in sharing your faith with those outside of the church. Now I want us to look at a diagram that I have on the screens also in, in your sermon notes, and I want to illustrate what happens when we, when we share our faith. At the top of this diagram, you can just write Paul's prayer that we would be active in sharing our faith. Just go ahead and put that in. I think it's in your bulletin. Yes, it is in your bulletin there. Active in sharing our faith. And, and of course, this comes straight from Philemon verse 6. Now, when, when that happens, when we share our faith, lives will be impacted. And so on the line to the right, right, line, uh, lives are impacted. I found this to be true in my life. When I share Christ, lives are impacted. Not, not because I'm good, not because I'm special. But I found that God's Word does not return void when I share my faith. You know, my wonderful friend that, that lives close by me a few weeks ago, I was scared to death to share Christ with him. But I'd been praying for years for an opportunity, and, and I finally got my courage up. I'm your pastor. I finally got my courage up to share Christ. And you know what happened? He accepted Jesus. He never resisted. And, and furthermore, I was so convicted because he said, Joe, I've been wanting to do this. I've even considered talking to you about it. But here I was, scared to death to do what God had called me to do. But when I gave him that opportunity, his life was impacted. Will everybody accept the Lord when we share Christ? No, but if we follow God's Spirit, He will be faithful. A seed will be planted. His Word will not return void. So when we share Christ, God will be faithful, lives will be changed. But as you share your faith, Paul shows us something else amazing that will happen. And, and this is where the words, so that, come into play. Verse 6, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So at the bottom of that diagram, right, 
You know, you get a full understanding of every good thing so that you have in Christ. So put full understanding of your blessings. Go ahead. There you go. When you share your faith, lives will be changed. You will begin growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus. You'll understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. You'll understand that you are so blessed that you might be able to go a full day without asking God for His blessings. You'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. But there's one more thing that takes place. When you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, you will also begin to develop, or develop this deeper concern for lost people. And so right on that left line, there'll be a focus on lost people. Today in our society, we, have, we don't seem to understand the concept of eternal lostness. I'm serious. Christianity has dumbed down the concept of lostness. And Christianity, our Christianity, is pretty much an I, I believe in God thing because I'm a good person and everybody that dies supposedly is in a better place because we all have some good in us. And, and we as Americans have come to believe it. That's why at almost every funeral, the family will say, the preacher will say, well, they're in a better place. But the Bible doesn't teach us that everybody makes it to heaven. And sorry to pour cold water on this service this morning, but the Bible teaches that narrow is the way to heaven. Few will make it. Think about that. That's the Bible. I'm not reading between the lines here. The Bible says that narrow is the way and few will make it. But then it says broad is the way to destruction and many will go there. And the truth is that if we die without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we will be lost eternally. So when we share our faith, lives are changed, and we'll begin to understand God's blessings in our life. That will give us an outward focus. And what happens then? That takes us back to the top of the diagram where we want to share our faith, and even more and more lives will be impacted. We will grow deeper in understanding Christ. We'll have more of an outward focus. But instead of that, here is the true picture for most of us. We don't share our faith. And we do this little inward Christian thing, and the result is that lives are not impacted. We don't grow spiritually in a deeper understanding of what we have in Christ. Then instead of being concerned about lost people, we become more concerned about our comfort. So last week, we started praying daily these six dangerous prayers, and I hope that you're doing that. I challenge you to pray those prayers during the entire month of October and hopefully from now on, but... But I'd like to add to those prayers that we might actively and aggressively share our faith. And I give you permission to pray that for me. Pray for your pastor that he will actively and aggressively share his faith. But let me warn you, when you begin praying to be active in sharing your faith, you know what's going to happen? God's probably going to answer that. He's going to give you opportunities to share Christ so as you pray that, you need to be ready. Now, I wasn't going to do this last part, but I've got enough time. So uh, you may say, well, Pastor, I, I won't know what to say when the opportunities come my way. I don't know how to share my faith. Well, I'm going to give you five very simple, practical ways to share your faith based on some passages in the Bible. Again, very basic, but the first way to share your faith is what I call Peter's loving but direct approach. Now, this doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but when Peter spoke in Acts chapter 2, he said, you need to repent of your sins. 
you need to turn to God, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, as basically as they would say today, hashtag direct. Uh, some of you are saying, what? Well, don't worry about it if you don't know what that is, but you know, he didn't say, you know, guys, I'm thinking like maybe you ought to explore your spiritual options and see what works for you, and hopefully it'll eventually click. And No, Peter said, you need to turn to God. You need to repent. This is as direct as you can be, and that's what some people need. You know, I've told you my professor in, in college, Bible professor, uh, one day he was so concerned about a, a young man that wasn't following the Lord, and uh, so he went to him and talked to him. And, uh, you know, he just, uh, he, he refused, and my professor, and I don't recommend this, don't follow this example, but he said, well, just go to hell then. And it so shook that young man that he started seeking God. But I don't recommend that strategy, okay, only if the Lord is leading you there. But sometimes there is that, that opportunity where you can be fairly direct. Well, that's not for everybody. But then there's another approach, Paul's intellectual approach. If you read Acts chapter 17, where... Paul went into a deep conversation about the unknown God, and, and a lot of us wouldn't feel qualified here either because you can use science and history and overwhelming signs pointing to an intelligent designer that put everything in, in, in space and everything in place to convince them. And, and again, we may not feel comfortable with that. But there's a third way that I think would fit most of us here, and this is what I call the blind man's my story approach. You know, even if, if you haven't been into deep sin you as a follower of Christ still have a very powerful story. And, and, and this method is shown in John chapter 9. It's the story of the man that was born blind, and Jesus opened his eyes for the very first time. But all of a sudden, the Pharisees began debating, well, well, who's the guy that healed you? And he healed on the Sabbath. He must be a sinner. Or maybe you were just faking it. Maybe you weren't blind to begin with. And, and the former blind beggar said, I don't know what you're talking about. You can argue all you want, but my story is this. I'm sticking with it. Yesterday, I, can't, I couldn't see you, but today I can. I was blind yesterday, but now I can see. And for some of you, your story is a great lead. And you can say, all I know is I used to be a meth addict, uh, but today because of Jesus, I am free. All I know is I used to suffer from depression, but because of Jesus, I have hope. And all I know is that I used to smoke weed and drink whiskey and shoot heroin, but Jesus saved me. You know, for some of you, maybe it's not that dramatic. Maybe instead of drinking whiskey, you used to drink NyQuil or whatever. I don't know. Instead of using meth, you were addicted to pain pills, to hydrocodone or whatever. But, but tell your version of your story, and, and it's amazing how often your story will overlap their story. They'll say, oh, I lost a child too. Oh, I, I lost a marriage too. And yeah, I was rejected by my church too, or I was sexually abused as well, and I had this happen to me. You can share your story. The fourth approach, the Samaritan woman's invitational approach, and this is John chapter 4, and it doesn't get any easier than this. This is basically, hey, why don't you just come to church with me for an hour and 15 minutes? We can all do that. That's essentially what a woman did in John 4. Jesus had talked with this sinful Samaritan woman and said, Ma'am, you've had five husbands, and, and the guy you're shacking up with, he's not your husband. And she's like, Oh, how did you find out? And he said, You're thirsting for something more, and I will give you living water. You'll never thirst again. And she was so moved by this, she ran back to her community and said, Come and see this man that told me everything I've ever done. Just come and see. So this is another approach. You know, just come and see. Come with me to church. And you know, this church may not be the right place, but just come and check it out. And there are other great churches in town if this doesn't fit. And then the fifth one is 
Dorcas's service approach, and you find this in Acts 9.36. It says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. So, hey, you know, when could I take supper over to your house? Or let me take care of your kids while you go out with your husband for a date. Here, let me help you mow your lawn this week. And just serving others in the name of Jesus. So this week, to uh, try to deepen our prayer life and align it more to the prayers in the Bible, let's begin praying that God would help us to be active in sharing our faith. And several things will happen. One, we will realize we're already blessed. And secondly, I believe God will touch hearts and the Spirit will be faithful and people will come to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, last week it was six dangerous prayers to help us grow deeper in our walk with you. And and we pray that again right now, Lord. I've already prayed that for myself this morning, but I pray it again. Search me. God, shine that spotlight within my heart. And if there's an attitude, if there's an action, if there's a motive that's wrong, would you just bring it to light? And then, Lord, would you break me in that area? Lord, where there's pride, Father, where there's rebellion, where there's unforgiveness, where there's resistance, self-sufficiency, Lord, would you just break me? Father, we also pray that you would stretch me. Lord, stretch those of us here that, God, that, uh, Father, we would maybe uh, have our borders expanded as Jabez prayed, and Lord, that we would be used in ways that we never dreamed possible. Lord, lead us. God, would you lead us every day? Would you lead us in our family? Would you lead us in our church? Would you lead us at work? Lord, lead us in our choices of entertainment. Then, Father, I pray that for the dangerous prayer of use me, God, however, whether it's to use me to just feed the kids on Wednesday night um, or to lead a small group or to, to help clean the church or, Lord, to uh, be able to touch my neighbor, Lord, would you use me? And then, Father, so I've been praying this week, would you fill me? Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. God, that I would be so full of the Spirit that it would overflow and spill out on others around me. Lord, uh, but now I want to add another prayer. And so please, even though this makes me uncomfortable, it makes us so uncomfortable, would you help us to be active in sharing our faith? Would you give us opportunities this week and and as you open these doors to share our faith, would you give us the right words and the right approach? And Lord, would you touch their hearts so that when the gospel reaches them through one of these methods, I pray, Lord, that their eyes, their hearts would already be open, just like the person, my friend, that said, that's what I want. It may not always happen that way, but Father, I believe there are more people than we realize that are hungry. And Lord, they they're missing something in their life. And so I pray, God, that you would just, would you just settle down and, and God, that 
you would help people to come to know Jesus. We believe that we are living in the final days. And God, we don't understand everything that means. We don't understand everything about prophecy, but we know that your word talks about that some someday time will end, as we understand. We've been talking about that in our small group on Wednesday night. Time as we understand it will end. It will come to a close. And then, Lord, we'll go on another time schedule there in eternity, and we don't understand that either. But, Father, I just pray that we would be ready for that time when our name is called. So, God, I pray, um, I pray that this church would be active in sharing their faith. Give us the courage, give us the boldness, give us the sensitivity, give us the love. Lord, that we would love God, as Philemon did, that we would love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but God, that we wouldn't stop there, but we would then be active in trying to just spread the good news that Jesus Christ saves us from sin. Thank you for your word, your presence, your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.